1: Warning, The Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times bestselling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. It is
0: The Savage Nation. Now, this show is the beginning of the long goodbye, as I put it today on Twitter and my website, which means there's only a few weeks to go until it's bye-bye, Pau Hanna, Michael Savage. So what I'm saying to you is I want you to include yourself in today's program. I want you to be a part of history, radio history. And so today I said this. Today's radio show begins my long goodbye. You can phone in to say, what have these 26 years meant to you? Noon to 2P Pacific, 3 to 5 Eastern, 1-855-400-SAVAGE. See you on the radio, Michael. And then later on, I thought of something else. What are your favorite savage insults from the early days? I had a friend of mine who was listening for a long time, and he said, the first time I ever heard you, you were ripping liberals to shreds. Those are the early days, the good days, the great days. I said, I don't do that anymore. He said, well, why? I said, because I mellowed out. And the world has changed. People have changed. The media has changed. He said, I still love those early shows and the insults. So I, I decided to ask you, the audience, what are your favorite savage insults from the early days? And you cannot believe some, some of the responses I've gotten on Twitter. And then I said, where were you when you first heard Michael Savage? To many people, it's a, I don't know, it's a day that they marked in their mind. And who are your favorite calls or guests of all time? in this quarter of a century. Now, I wanna say a few other things at this time. It's gonna be a free-form show. Yes, of course, I know the news. Yes, of course, I know about the election. Yes, of course, I know about that lawyer who says that it's a conspiracy. Yes, of course, I follow all of it. It's all on michaelsavage.com. But you know, I don't really wanna talk about it for three reasons. One, because you've heard about it already. In three milliseconds, you could read it on any uh, website in the world. You click on a website. You know, I got to say this to you, now that we're getting into the whole radio thing. When I first began a radio, there was no internet in this sense. The internet existed. Email existed. The military invented, developed the internet, not John Kerry. And they developed it for instant communication. But in order to do a show, we had to go to the bookstore and buy newspapers in the morning, magazines. We had to read things called wires in our studios for the latest AP UPI news and then somehow make it of interest to you. Those days are over. You can all access the news in a millisecond on your own. So what the hell is the point of talk radio? I don't know. I think it's a great medium. I think it'll be around a long time to come. And I think that it's a great medium for those who have talent. But for those who are just ambulance chasers who got lucky and cashed in on the conservative movement when they were liberals all their lives they have no future the people are on to them and the ambulance chasers will find out that they're going to be as successful in the future as they had been when they failed as lawyers so it's a good time to be let us say making a transition let's put it to you that way and even if even if and i don't want to go into the even ifs or you know those were the days my friend I want to tell you right now, I have other things planned. I'm going to do the podcast. I may do the Sunday evening radio show, depending upon my energy level and the response from the um, stations out there. And I'll tell you more about that as time goes on, or I may delay it until February to begin that. I just want to focus on the podcast come January. Uh, There's something else I have to tell you about. I've been deluged with emails on my website and other places from people who have said, Michael, you have such a natural talent to advise people on their life problems. Why don't you become a professional life coach? Now, you know I've toyed with this over the years, right? <clears throat> Remember that? We talked with it. I said, call in with your personal questions. The one thing I will tell you is there'll be no medical advice at all. I don't, I'm not going to treat anxiety. It's illegal for a non-professional doctor to do that. No depression, no anxiety, no PTSD calls, but... There are a lot of life coaches out there who are good and a lot of life coaches who have no life experience who are very bad. And I'm going to uh, make myself available for all of my loyal audience around the world for January 2021 to be a life coach for maybe an hour or so once in a while, a couple of days a week. And I will tell you right now, fees will be industry standard for a superstar like myself and no medical advice, advice will be given You'll learn more about it on michaelsavage.com. So let's go back to the radio. Long goodbye. You can phone in. The lines are already jammed out. I knew they would be. We have uh, Robert Borowski running the uh, what's known as the board. And uh, Benjamin is now running the, my father's name, Benjamin, young guy. Benjamin's uh, taking your calls, and he's really good at it. Jim, Jim, Jim. Uh, Verde, unfortunately, is out because there is a medical emergency in his family. Jim, we wish you and your family well. Doug Lynn, who was with the show for so many years, uh, had to take a medical leave a while back. Karen, who was with the website for many years, had to take a medical leave last year. Things change, my friends. Things change. Time moves on. And everything changes. Delta is the symbol of change. And unless you're changing, you are dying. You're dying by becoming a static, repetitive bore so now let's go back to the questions of the day where were you when you first heard michael savage who were your favorite callers what are your favorite savage insults from the early days phone number 855 vladimir in florida you're the first up what's on your mind vladimir go ahead please
1: dr savage
0: it's a pleasure to speak with you i listened to you since i was in fourth grade driving trucks with my dad across the country i will never forget the time i heard your voice my favorite insult is when you used to call people that would just be completely asinine.
2: You'd call them morons, and me and my dad would just crack up.
0: <laughs> so you, your name is Vlad. You are, you are Vlad the Impaler's great-grandson or what?
2: <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not that, not that worthy, but Vladimir.
0: <laughs> oh, very good. That's a very good comeback. Not that worthy of Vlad the Impaler. I like that. That's quick of mind, Vlad yes sir but i grew up in liberal portland oregon i moved out of there five years ago i graduated from the university of oregon i was every single time the only conservative in all my in all my communist marxist
2: professor classes well
0: vladimir get ready for what uh, for what biden is bringing us can you believe he appointed john Kerry to be his climate czar can you imagine the rubbish that's going to come out of that fraud's mouth the world's coming to an end again somehow the world didn't end yet now it's going to end tomorrow, the minute the minute Biden takes over. The world's coming to an end. You know what, sir? Vladimir, to... get ready. And did you see the video of the New Jersey governor eating without a mask with his family in a restaurant and getting called? And the people go up and tell him to drop dead and basically tell him he's a lying piece of garbage? Oh, what a beautiful video that one is. All right, Vlad, thanks for being a loyal listener. hope you follow me on the podcast. 855-407-282 oh god what now what diet no no dietary questions today nathan no no medical advice no dietary questions let me see what people say about favorite insults i'm going to go to twitter if there are any da, 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 da. i have to be one of the top 10 women who started listening in 95 bumper music jimmy from brooklyn is the call my favorite insult names is probably duffy the bartender or wallbanger i never used duffy the bartender one of my favorite savages. When you get a rag liberal woman calling up and attacking you, when you tell her, "I'm not the husband who walked out on you 30 years ago," <laughs> hysterical. WABC and WR in New York City through the 2000s were the best. Every day was a great show. Yeah, ABCOR, they were great in the day. They were great. Now look what they've happened. Look what they turn into now—an old sad sack with a red beret running around 15 hours a day. How can a guy run around with a red beret on and call himself a wild, crazy street fighter? I don't understand this. Thank you for all the years, Michael. I will follow you to the podcast. I love when you call the leftist RDDBs, red diaper doper babies. Uh-oh, I can't do the next one. Uh, not an insult, but a keen observation. You said the left defines deviant behavior as normal and normal behavior is deviant. Joe from Florida and Jim, the old guy from New York, he was on a couple of times. Da, 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 da. And a lot of nice stuff on Twitter. Uh, people, A lot of people have listened to me since they're children Here's one of my favorite, quote, all the liberal women with mustaches in Berkeley who are now listening to me. <clears throat> I don't know what's wrong, a little phlegm here. Uh, this COVID thing, is it, bothering you? Are, you getting, are you getting freaked out on the COVID thing? Everyone said, you know, there's a two schools of thought on COVID. You want to hear the two schools of thought? One is it's no more than a mild flu and a hoax. The other is it's killing people uh, like flies sprayed with raid. So where do you stand on that? A lot of people say it's nothing. Well, if you're 18 and strong, you're probably going to get over it in three days, but not necessarily. You may have an underlying condition you don't know about. And I think that there are varieties of strains of COVID by what I am seeing, which may explain why some people get the same strain. One gets sick. The other doesn't get sick. There could be varieties. Viruses, ask any virologist or check out any virology site you can find viruses are very smart they adapt very quickly they mutate very quickly there's no single COVID-19 virus so far as I can tell and whatever the Chinese hatched up in their medical laboratory and released by accident and I don't believe it was on purpose whatever they released on accident is some doozy out there Now the Chinese, by the way, is saying it came from Italy. Now, you know, that's an interesting statement. You see, I'm going to go back and forth between a little self-indulgence and a little uh, news. So Chinese Communist Party hints Italy could be origin of Wuhan virus. Let's look at that for a minute. It is plausible that Italy could be, but it's not Italy Italians. It's not the Italians of Italy. There is a large needle trade or garment trade in the Milan area, which you may not know about. And most of the textiles come from China. And most of the workers in the textile business in Italy, in the Milan area, are of Chinese ancestry or, of, or actually from China. And so, yes, it's totally possible it did come from Italy. But again, you have to trace the origins of the virus if it came through Italy. And it came from China to Italy. It didn't originate in Italy. At least that's my educated opinion on the matter i've had some good suits made in, china, in italy by the way and the fabrics are pretty good by the way and the needlework is pretty good by the way but you should know that most of the uh, great clothing that comes out of italy are, are made by folks from china that's something you should know and they go back and forth incidentally so let's go back to the callers now uh, of your favorite savage shows your favorite insults where were you in the first time when you first heard Michael Savage. Now there's some sound I want to get to today as well in the midst of all the self-indulgence. And I'll read you the headlines because they tell the whole story. Chris Christie said Trump legal team has been a national embarrassment. So he's already made the uh, the, the uh, 180 job. He's looking for a little positioning after Trump is gone. Governor Murphy is confronted while eating out with his family. That's a beauty. You gotta hear that on michaelsavage.com. This guy is a real fraudulent leftist. The bigger the fraud, the more restrictive the, the uh, they are in their states. Take a look at the three states that are the most restrictive. The governors in every situation are just like this Murphy. Rand Paul says the masks aren't working. Social distancing is not working. He says my proof, the numbers. Very interesting. Dr. Fauci is a monster, a power mad lunatic who says the upcoming holiday should be controlled during the pandemic. Dr. Fauci would have been very comfortable working for Joseph Stalin. Uh, Maxine Waters, one of the worst human beings God ever permitted to be born, said we should send the message across the world and investigate Trump. Maxine, here's my parting words for you, you lying sack of garbage. You and your husband ripped off the nation for over $10 million when you were on the Senate Banking Committee and he ran a bank with minority loans, Maxine, Watch out what you ask for, Maxine, because it just may come around to bite you in the leg. I'll be right back. Savage. If you're looking for a special gift for someone this holiday season, something truly unique and personal, I've got a great idea for you. At PaintYourLife.com, you can have an original painting by a world-class artist done by hand from any photo at an affordable price. Get a professional hand painted portrait created from any photo at a truly affordable price. Believe me, it's great. You send any picture, yourself, your children, family, a special place, or a cherished pet, or combine photos into single or combine photos into one painting. With Paint Your Life's compilation portraits, you can bring together family members who never had the chance to meet, or create a portrait of the whole family without the need for everyone to be there for a family photo. It's amazing. You get to choose from a team of world-class artists and work with them until every detail is perfect. You can order a custom-made hand-painted portrait in less than five minutes. Their process is quick and easy. Your hand-painted portrait will arrive in about three weeks. A painting from Paint Your Life is meaningful, personal, and can be cherished forever. It makes the perfect holiday gift for someone you love or for yourself. At PaintYourLife.com, there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded, guaranteed. And right now, as a limited time offer, you get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, text the word SAVAGE to 64000. That's SAVAGE to 64000. Text SAVAGE to 64000. Paint your life, celebrate the moments that matter most, Text SAVAGE to 64000. Most people are either on the road, they're tuned out, they're not listening to talk radio. You ask anyone, and I've asked several people, traffic to websites are dramatically down as of today. People are not listening to radio as much as normal. They know the election is over one way or the other. The diehards will continue to insist Trump won. That's the way it is. And uh, they're not interested. They were really at a peak during the election. Now we have to go back to the other elements of talk radio for those of you who listen on a regular basis. So uh, I'm asking you to phone in. What have the last 26 years meant to you, as most of you know. And many of you do listen to the show on podcast now around the world. It's not going to be a difficult transition for you. Many of you don't know how to even get a podcast. So it's simple. Go to michaelsavage.com, which is a website on your home computer or your iPhone, and then click on the uh, podcast. That's the way it's going to be. It'll be very easy. Or talk to your phone and say, find Michael Savage podcast. That's the way it is. So let's take a few more uh, calls here on the Savage Nation. Uh, Shut up, shrew. Katie in California. Katie, what's your favorite insult?
1: Hi, Dr. Savage. Well, you were on the air in the
2: afternoons when I would pick my son up from school. He was in third grade at the time and he'd get in the car and we were listening to you one day and you were playing a clip of Hillary Clinton
0: and you were just getting really angry and you were telling her to shut up, shut up and
1: you said, get that shrew off my show, get her off my <laughs> air," and my son was laughing so hard. He thought it was the greatest thing on earth. Well,
0: you know, it's fun to use a straw dog like that, which is a recording, to yell at a recording, because Hillary was never on my show. And thank God she wasn't, because I really I really would like to reserve the ability to take a nice jog through Marcy Park uh, in, in, the, uh, in the future years. <laughs> yes. They are unforgiving, her and Bill. They're an unforgiving couple. They never, ever forget people. And um, since you brought up the name of Hillary Clinton... You may know I'm banned in Britain. Well, when it originally happened, some of the charges brought against me were eerily reminiscent of words that came from Hillary Clinton because I singled her out during one of my compassionate conservative conventions and made a poster of her. And I used the phrase try him and fry him during that uh, event and uh, showed a poster of her on the stage. That phrase was used when England banned me. And I'm pretty sure that her good friend Jackie whatever her name was, who banned me for entering Britain, was told to do so by, by none other than Miss Hillary, Mrs. Hillary Clinton, the esteemed former Secretary of State. Thank you for the memories. I'll be back in a minute. Savage. Yes. Hey, how you doing? Oh my God, Murphy! You how you
2: were doing? Such a d- you're having you having fun are... with your family. In the meantime, you're having oh. all kind of other bullshit going oh, on you at sh- your house.
0: A little too drunk?
2: No, no, no I'm, not I'm not drunk. Uh, as a matter of well, fact, can
0: you put your mask on. Please? You can
2: go f- yourself. How's that? Hey, I you know
0: hey mask, Jersey
2: God. Shaw. You know why I need a mask? Because there ain't nothing like f- wrong with me. I like your Trump. Phone. You're f- right. You guess you know. who Trump likes? He likes my dad. Yeah, oh, yeah. He no, do he doesn't like your. Oh, he does. He does.
0: You. Oh, Thank, Thank you. you. Thank go. Go. All right. So this is a very important this is a very important and telling audio tape that I linked up on michaelsavage.com the left-wing fanatical governor murphy of new jersey who is dictatorial fascistic and an all-around bad piece of garbage was caught eating out with his lovely family without wearing masks after telling the whole state to drop dead, close your business and stick a mask on your nose. So two girls, two women with a Jersey Shore mouth on them, who were not shy, went up to him and gave him a, a here's how, the way they do in the East Coast, not here on the West Coast, everyone's afraid to say a word except to a 90-year-old Republican or the hit over the head with, a, with a, an ash can. And they went up to him and they said, you're a hypocrite, called him names. And then suddenly the jerk puts a mask on. It was disgusting. You know what? He got what he deserves. That's the world we're living in. So we're going back to the savage glossary from the old days of the favorite savage insults. Let's see if these are any good. These are some of the names I call W. Bush a comedian conservative, sheocracy, Clinton Kool Aid, hijack son, clipped hair, mean faced liberals, Lexus liberals, uh, NAW, N O W, National Organization of Witches, Ninth jerkit Court of Schlemmels, trickle down immorality, Secretary of Hate, John Kerry. <laughs> Waffen, INS, the Janet (laughs) Reno Brigade, the Clintons, Fatasses, Sheeple. Uh, I would not refer to Hillary Clinton as the first lady. I called her the last lady. Whenever I referred to the third world, I would call it the third world. The government media complex, Femi-fascist, checkpants, Republicans, demon cats, dungism. And then recently I used terms such as knee-jerk conservatives and compassionate conservatives. Those are interesting but they're not really insults. There are better insults than that. And some of them I have forgotten. 855 Also, what are your favorite moments that you remember? Again, this is not going to be like a nostalgia cry show. I am actually elated that this is finally over. This long nightmare is finally over. I want to tell you three things about the radio business if you're considering getting into it. One, don't. Two, don't. And three, don't for three different reasons, uh, most of which are economic. Radio is a dying industry. There will be some who will continue to suck all of the money into their fat claws so that everyone else suffers and starves to death. They will boycott you behind the scenes while claiming they're great Americans. They will suck all the advertising money into their little cabal while telling you they're great Americans and believe in the free market. And so if you're an unknown nobody and you're not connected to the cabal that runs talk radio, you're not going to get anywhere. Now, maybe there's room on some local stations to make some headway. And I think local hosts can do a great job. There will always be a need for a an interesting voice, an insightful voice, a local voice, and maybe even an occasional national voice. But what we have today is a little different than that. And I'm not here to bash my competition. They do it uh, to themselves on a daily basis. So what I want to do now is go to the next stage, which is, uh, well, let's put, I used to say to people when I was on the air in the 90s, the early 90s, I'd sit in front of the microphone. God, it's been a long time. It seems like one day to me. I would say to you, I know I'm really exerting myself too hard. I shouldn't do this. I know this is not good for my health. Almost every day I fear dropping dead from exhaustion or heart attack from the way I did my shows. I would do a show, ask any program director who ever worked with me, I'd come off the stage sweating. And never forget, I wonder if I could mention who my first PD was, was Jack Swanson. Jack is probably one of the most knowledgeable uh, program directors in the history of talk radio. And I could tell you about him another day, but I, there's things I don't want to say. It's his life, not mine, to talk about. So Jack, I once said to him in the beginning in the early 90s at KSFO Studios down on Front Street, which I remember to this day, Jack would be out on the balcony before the show smoking. He doesn't smoke anymore, I guess. And I would go out there, we would chat. Jack was smart. Jack had a law degree. Jack was one of the smartest people I ever met in radio, but he knew talent, which unfortunately is a lost art in the radio business. And Jack knew I was a natural talent. Remember, I was an older man. I started radio in my 50s. Remember that I had other careers before I went into talk radio. And all of them were successful. So that's a separate story from my autobiography. I don't want to even bore you with that now. So Jack and I would talk and, you know, we say a lot of different things about radio and this and that. And I remember those early days of radio very, very strongly. But the point of this little uh, vignette is that after a show, I'd be sweating from the soles of my feet to the top of my head because I put my all into it. I mean, when I do a show, I wave my hands. I walk around. Uh, I was the only guy in the history of talk radio who used barbells in the studio. You may not know that. There were, there were two 20-pound weights at the KSO studios, and they used to pump iron during a show. And I was a wiry guy, and I did it not to show off. I did it because it pumped me up. So... Jack said, that shows you you're really doing your show. You're really into it. He said, anyone who walks out of a radio show and didn't break into a sweat is not really there. They're mailing it in. So that's what he said. You know what I'm saying? So here we are years later. And I remember saying to my audience, I'm going to do this until you hear a clunk on the table of my microphone falling down as I dropped out of a heart attack. Well, lo and behold, and thank God that didn't happen. But I had a warning almost a year to date, December 5th of this has been some year over the last year and things uh, change in your life but unlike some I didn't quit I thought about it but even the people in the radio business who were running my show did not know that I had been that sick and I kept it from them for about a month because you know how kind and kind-hearted corporate people are right you know how kind and compassionate uh, corporate people are so I kept it from them for obvious reasons because they're too kind and too compassionate. I didn't want to hurt their feelings by telling them that I'm a human being who you know, had an illness. You can't tell them that. It may hurt them. I went on the air two days after I was in a hospital because I wanted to be on the air. And then I struggled through the first month till I started to get a little stronger. And then here we are almost a year later. And now this is all going to be over and probably uh, earlier than December 31st. We're switching over to the podcast, of course, in January, but the last two weeks of December are basically dead in radio anyway. People are on vacation. Stations are running music. I will probably be off as of mid-December, and I'm going to request from the syndication company that they hire staff to come in on December 31st wherever they may be, so I can do my last two hours on December 31 uh, of this year and finally say goodbye. And that's what I'd like to do. Whether they comply with that request, I don't know. We'll have to see if they are capable and willing to do so. So these two weeks now, through around the mid-December, are basically it. And so uh, that's why I wanted to come on today. I wanted to ask you uh, these uh, questions, your favorite shows, your favorite insults. And uh, there are other things that I want to talk about today. Uh, Last night, actually yesterday afternoon, I was at one of my locations and I don't know how I did that. You know how intuition works? I was bored in the middle of the day and it was a kind of gloomy afternoon. I was alone again. I'm a loner. Uh, I'm like a submarine commander of the old days. I like to be on my own. I like to direct my own life. I'm not really a team player. And that's what most people in radio are. They're basically like, they're lone wolves fundamentally. If that's the business you're in, you know it's true. It's you and your studio and microphone. And even though you have people that you you work with, you're basically a loner. I was alone yesterday. I was in one of my moods. And I don't know what took hold of me. You know on TVs now, you can talk into them. You press a button and you tell it what you want. like find Netflix, Netflix, Netflix Head Headtrip, whatever you want. I don't know what motivated me. I said, fine, Michael, I said, YouTube, Michael Savage, YouTube, Michael Savage. And lo and behold, all my YouTube pieces came up on a screen, including some I had not posted. And one of them was an interview I did with Raymond Arroyo in 2017. Uh, He's a Christian, he's a Catholic broadcaster, and I'd never heard of the guy. He's fantastic. And my book, God, Faith, and Reason, had just come out. And it's a religious show, so he had me on. I watched that interview, meaning I watched myself on TV. Now, normally, you'd watch it for a minute or two and say, I, I've seen this, I did it, it's a replay, I don't want to watch it. It was an amazing moment for me for a couple of reasons yesterday. One, I didn't know that it was on YouTube and I could watch it on TV, which was a change for me. And two, after watching myself talk with Raymond, he pulls things out of me a strange thing took me over. I actually found myself listening to my own advice. I I actually found myself drawn back to a higher power. I actually believed that God was overlooking us again. The insight came to me, strangely enough, yesterday all over again, because recently I've been somewhat I don't know what to use the word, atheistic about it all, uh, cynical about it all. There's a couple of things coming together. It's not only me leaving radio, it's Trump's gone. Trump represents the last of an era. We will never, ever have these moments again. And it's very personal to me because despite the things that are said about him, I found him to be one of the most kindly people I had ever met in person. As near as three or four weeks ago after he had COVID, I don't know if you remember the show. Remember he called the show with an interview? Did you hear his voice, how different it was? How kind and compassionate he sounded? That was not a fake. He had the illness. He uh, was down from COVID. And I found that it did something to him because the first thing he said to me on the air was, I don't know if you heard it. Michael, I miss you. He actually, why would he say that? Now, we all know that politicians use people in the media, and people in the media use politicians. It's a symbiotic relationship. It's a given. But why would he say in a, in a different voice, a kindly brotherly voice, Michael, I miss you. You know why? Because Michael, he missed you. He actually missed me. I felt that. So I know the man in a different way than the public may know him. And although he was presented in ways that was so evil and so cruel by the vermin in the media, the filthiest, most dirty rats in the whole world are in the media. I could give you a list of people. Well, I can't go any further than this. There are people who are so bad, and yet they pretend to be so good. Anderson Cooper comes to mind. He may be the worst person in all of the media. Next to him would be Jake Tapper, another double-talking, two-faced phony of the lowest kind. There are many like them, and everything they projected on Trump was a projection of the darkness in their own soul, because that's not the man. How could you call a man like him an anti-Semite when he's done so much for Israel? How can you call a man like him an anti-Semite when his own daughter married a wonderful orthodox man and his grandchildren are Jewish? Do you understand how psychotic and sick this is? These people who pretend to be liberals are closer to the national socialists of the 1930s than you may imagine. They may as well be the propaganda arm of the Waffen-SS while posing as good liberals. And guess what? They just destroyed Trump and are now installing the worst left-wing national socialist administration in American history. Stay tuned, because I won't be here to talk about it. Savage. I right, turn it off. This is, when, this is when Germany was still Germany. It's not Germany anymore. It's only a few years ago, but there's no Germany anymore. Germany is gone. Sweden is gone. Norway is gone. Finland is gone. Have you seen who's running these countries? Mean-faced, clipped-haired women. How did this happen? How did the Vikings permit anti-male women to get control of their nations and render them fundamentally prisoners in their own nation? I think that says it all. I don't know how it happened. I don't know where the Vikings are, unless they're all in prison giving each other tattoos. I don't know where they are. There are still men in these countries. Where are they? How did they permit women? Forget that they're women. It's fine that they're women. They were warrior women who fought with the Vikings. Some of them were great leaders. They loved their nation. They loved their tribe. They loved their family. These are anti-male, anti-national Women they're internationalists. They're part of a secret cabal of women who range from the United States around the global globe to destroy men weaken men render men second-class citizens and run their countries in ways that are self-destructive now Last night, I had the unfortunate of watching too much television i was watching that geo because there was a show i like about submarine warfare that's really superb but unfortunately i got poisoned watching the ads there was not one white couple in any of the ads Now i know you just said oh did he say that yeah i said exactly what people are saying there was not one couple of a white man and a white woman not one there are uh, lesbian couples gay couples there were couples that were not white, but there were no white couples. So I said, who, why are they doing a thing like this? It was like a jewelry store that did this, the worst, some jeweler. And I said, how do they think they're going to sell their product? Do they not understand that people are not that stupid? And I, I asked someone I know, why did they do this? She said to me, do you know who runs the advertising business? They're 20-something know-nothing children. They have been brainwashed in colleges, and they've taken their demented views of the world and are projecting them onto television and radio audiences, as well as internet audiences. I said, oh, like I didn't know that. Robert, the clock is off. It says, I have a minute and 11 seconds. That can't be true, right? It's really 10 seconds. Yeah, 10, maybe less. I'll be back in the next hour. Be here or be nowhere.
1: And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation. Home of borders, language, culture, and here he is. New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. What optimism I had when this song came out. The whole
0: road was open, right? We knew it would be a struggle when we were young, didn't we? We knew it would be a road of rocks. But so what? We're going to walk on those rocks. What a world it is today, all isolated, alone. All the outlets are shut down. No restaurants, while the vermin, who uh, call themselves governors, are seen dining without masks, telling everyone else to drop dead and eat, eat cake. Do you understand that liberals are the complete opposite of liberalism? Do you finally understand they're all liars? Okay, that's a story for another day. I've done it for 25 years. Liberalism is a mental disorder. Most of them are on medication, severe medication. The bigger the liberal, the bigger the quotient of medication. There's no question about that. So today's show is a little self-indulgent, and I have begun the long goodbye, and I've said to you, what are your favorite savage shows? When did you first hear the show? What are your favorite callers? What's your favorite savage insults? It's interesting to me that no one has said the Mama Savage show. Which many people used to say was their favorite show. When I would call my mother in her senior citizen living home in Florida in her uh, last years, some of the shows were amazing. She was much faster than I was. And it's easy to underestimate a parent because you don't think they're as cool as you. You know, from the time you're 15, you think your parents are antiquated, old, out of it. You know, you don't want to be around them. You think you're smarter than them, faster than them, better looking than them as time went on of course you grow up and all that crap goes away and then um if you're lucky enough to have a parent who lives into their 80s and have a dialogue with them you find out they're different than you may have thought they were when you were younger you know so once she was on the show we could probably robert's probably searching for it right now you know the sex thing robert remember that one so i'm talking with her i remember she was about 85 at the time 86 and uh Normally, we would talk about food. You know, she's always complaining about the food in the senior citizen home. Food was big to her. She's a great cook from New York. And you talk about Thanksgiving, my God, what memories. The house was full. We had a little house, 20 foot wide, and uh, one of those attached brick houses. And a dining room, so-called. It was a dining room. It was clean, neat, table, never used during the regular days. But come the holiday, she'd prepare two weeks in advance There were meats and turkeys in the downstairs refrigerator, the upstairs refrigerator in my aunt's house. And she'd put on the party. The house would be packed with relatives. But what kid really appreciates what they have when they're 15? All they want to do, you know, they're wearing the tight pants and the gelled hair. They want to get out and go run around with their friends, which is the normal thing. You know, you think your relatives are boring. Little did you know that when you got older and there were none and you were alone with a TV tray, uh looking at uh world war ii movies on thanksgiving eating a turkey out of an aluminum tray how good it was so those were the days my friend and here we are so i'm asking you in a nostalgic way your memories over the last quarter of a century and here are some that came up in on 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 twitter michael chrisanti writes this he said i just left the furniture store and got back to my car a little after 9 p.m here outside dc and WMAL was then carrying Savage tape delayed. It was something about his voice. I heard a man who had been through a lot and had come out stronger for it. His voice had scars on it. Thank you, Michael. That's very observant. Uh, I don't want to go into comparing myself with Mickey Mouse and Laughing Gas, who everyone thinks is the greatest person. I never heard anything like this. I started the show last hour by talking about real program directors who had an ear for radio. It's like someone who can hear a violinist who's a difference between a violinist and a one-string guitar. Today... No. No, no difference. How can anyone be in radio with a voice like Mickey Mouse on Laughing Gas who talks a mile a minute? I don't know. Apparently people like it, so you you know, you go where the audience is. Maggie writes, San Francisco is by far my favorite insult. Lived and worked in SF for twenty years and have watched it deteriorate. Been listening on KSO since college in the late 90s and one of your loyal savages. That's thank you for many years. Uh, my uh, Vegas boss says, gee, I would say back in two thousand, I even got to meet you. And you signed Enemy Within here in Vegas. Wow. Oh, I like the Clint Eastwood guest you had. You know the Clint Eastwood once called into the show back in the early 90s when I was a local host? I don't know if he ever listened since. I mean, I love his work. He's not a friend of mine. I'd love to meet the guy one day. I think he's one of the most talented movie people in the world. I think. Well, I'm the only one who says that. Not only was he a great actor, he became a great director, as you could see by his latest movies. How old is that guy? In his 90s now? How does a man continue? Well, whatever. That's a separate show. Maybe I'll do a podcast on that one day. And maybe Clint Eastwood will be a guest. Who knows who might want to be a guest on a podcast? You never know who might wind up, right? On the podcast. I'm not saying he will be. You could sue me yet. Saying you said I'd be a guest. I, mean, I don't know who you are. I didn't say that. I said maybe he'll be a guest. When I'm, my, who would be my ideal guest on a podcast? I'm thinking about my first show. I should have brought that up. I think I know who my first guest is gonna be, God willing, on January 1st, 2020, 2021, 2000. Yeah, 2021, wow, Jesus. You know, I remember when I was a kid, I was so bored in school. This is an odd thing. For a guy who hated school, which I hated, I hated school, but I stuck with it. I always stuck with it, but I, my mind was always somewhere else. But unlike Robert De Niro who went to the ninth grade and thinks he's smarter than George Washington, I stuck it out got graduate degrees and I found out something interesting is that once I got out of undergraduate school and went into graduate school and Went into a real field that I loved where it was largely seminar based where you can discuss things In a very small Almost one-to-one basis. Sometimes it was one, me and the professor in a whole class uh, That's a great story. I, I excelled at it because it was interesting and you could you could use your mind So I stuck with it, you know. It's an interesting thing. But in the early days, I hated school. So I'd be sitting in school pulling the hairs out of my forearms. I'm looking back now. You know that that's considered an illness now, OCD or something? I was pulling the hairs out of my forearm in high school because I wanted to die listening to the boring teachers with terrible perfume. I almost collapsed, sitting there for hours listening to drivel. I used to listen to the heater hissing. Anything but listening to the teacher, it was so boring, I could have learned what she was saying in three seconds. So I would pull the hair out of my arm. I didn't know what to do. Uh, I did so many other weird things as a kid. You're looking back. You know, kids, not every kid is made to sit in a chair at a desk and look at someone in front of a room with a blackboard from uh, Greek Grecian times. The blackboard was developed in Greek times because that's all they had to talk to the students with was chalk and a blackboard. Why are children still subjected to that? Why? I don't know. Why? Why do we still have an election like this that goes on for eight years? From the time one of these schmucks are elected, there's an election going on for the next one. It's all a distraction. Nonsense. It's all. a uh, Look, you want me to get into the political thing? 94, I called it a Democrat Party or a Republican Party. Raise your hand if you remember that. Come on. What do you think? I don't know that there's more immigrants now under Trump than there were under uh, the last one. You think I didn't know that? But I told you if we got 10% more than uh, he, only 10% of what he promised, it would be 110% more than than Clinton, right? I told you that, and I was right. But we got more than 10% of what he promised. But nevertheless, there's more illegals now than there were under the last president, under Obama. I'm sorry to tell you why, because the establishment, the Democrat Party, the Republican Republicrat Party is one party. It's an oligarchy. There are differences here and there. But by and large, tell me the big differences between the two parties. Tell me on on rhetoric. There's a big difference on rhetoric. There's an enormous difference. You're going to be insulted for being a white person for the next four years mainly coming out of the mouths of white people who are liars and traitors to their own belief system. They believe in nothing. Most of them are garbage. They're human garbage with a pair of pants on or a a filthy skirt. And they will tell you that you should die because you're a white person, one way or the other. Then they're going to lie to you about climate change now. You didn't get beaten up enough about it. They tried it out in the beginning of the campaign in January. It, It failed like a lead balloon, right? So they stopped it. Now they've appointed John Kerry as the climate czar the Biden-Harris? What the hell are they talking about? They told us the world would be over in what? Five years, six years, then it was four and a half years, then it was seven and a half years. How did they know that? They didn't. They made it up. The same way they made up the mask story. So Governor Murphy of New Jersey is found in a restaurant with his family over the weekend, eating without masks, and a group of Jersey Shore women go up and give him a good drop dead And really curse them out and call them names. And the same thing here, wherever you turn. The bigger the fascist, the more restrictive they are on the people. Whether it's Governor Meatball in New York or here on the West Coast or the one Michigan Whitmer, they're all the same. The more restrictive they are, the bigger the liar they are. It's that simple. There is absolutely no justification for shutting down an entire state absolutely none whatsoever it is the stupidest thing i have ever seen they're causing more social discontent and more social mayhem and more social discord than you can imagine and the price will be paid in loss of businesses loss of jobs there will be suicides there will be social and medical prices to be paid for this absurdity that they're putting us through And notice it's always the bigger the liberal, the bigger the shutdown. The bigger the liberal, the more the mask mandate. It is not based upon science. It's based upon sorcery, illness, and social control, as I instructed the world back in February of this year when I cited a monograph that I've carried with me since graduate school. Sorcery, illness, and social control. So the next time you hear one of these left-wing national socialists like Governor Cuomo or Governor Whitmer or Governor Murphy of New Jersey tell you this, tell you that, just remember they're sorcerers. And when they wheel out another crackpot doctor who's usually a failed medical doctor who couldn't make it in the medical world and they went into public health, and they wheel them out and they tell you what to do, that's another little petty fascist, a little Himmler, a little Himmler there in public health telling you to go home, shut your business, and lock yourself in a room. This is the Savage Nation, I'll be back. Savage. The truth is, you and I, once I got my Ph.D. in nutrition, I'd come to your house, and you'd always cook the same fatty foods, and I would say, how could you do that? And you always ate it, but God bless you. What else do you like on a Saturday? What do you eat when you go out?
1: French fried
0: potatoes. <laughs> You're 83 years old. You eat French fried potatoes, and what else do you have with it? What other light, light, light bite?
1: Frankfurter's.
0: crab. <laughs> Sau- oh, I love you. But let me ask you, truthfully, you don't smoke or drink, right? No. In your life, did you smoke? No. Yeah, I saw once you did when you were 30. You took a cigarette.
1: Just to show off. Just to show off. I never had any vices.
0: You never had any vices. But, Ma, what do you think...
1: All I did was eat food.
0: <laughs> so you can eat anything, but what do you think is the secret to longevity?
1: What's what the secret?
0: Yeah. Because you're an elder. You're 83.
1: Yeah, my case, what it is, I think. What? No sex.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no sex. No sex. Well, that okay, that's San Francisco, Robert. This um, this this is amazing. Do you see how she set me up? How fast she was, like an old Bosch belt comedian. I didn't she, I didn't know she even understood what I asked. Like I didn't, you know, I thought uh, your longevity in my case. I thought she was going to come up with some off the wall statement. So I don't know. In my case, uh, no sex. That's a that's a Henny Youngman. That's a rim shot. So you see, I got the gene for it. I learned to entertain. Because of her love for entertainment Because she had such a tragic life Going way back I'm not going to pull the brother thing My silent brother Because you'll hear more about that later How I learned to communicate with audiences By speaking to a brother Who couldn't see or hear or talk By trying to reach him I learned to talk to audiences Which is like a, an, a living being That has no That doesn't react to you really you Maybe get a laugh or a roar or whatever But in my mother's case, we would spend a lot of time, let's see, on Saturdays, going back to childhood, there was a theater on Jamaica Avenue in Queens, New York. It's probably long gone. On Saturday or Sunday, they would have a double feature of movies. Now, remember, a double feature was like probably three and a half hours long, these two movies. And I swear to God, then there was a 10-act live performance that followed that or preceded the movie. So you were there all day. You were there for hours, four or five, I don't know how many hours. You go to the movies, it was safe. Nobody would beat you up in the street. It was under the L at the time, but it was, you know, safe. The theater was clean. The racial hatred didn't evolve till the 60s. It flared up under liberalism. So we'd sit there, and there were 10 acts. I mean, you're talking about B, C, D acts now. The ventriloquist whose mouth moved. The juggler who hit himself on the foot with with the... I mean, everything was bad, but it was so bad it was entertaining. So we had 10 acts and we would talk about the performances and things like that. And she took me once to Radio City Music Hall with a friend of mine, Alan. And uh, they took you behind the scenes at Radio City Music Hall and they showed you how radio was made. I was young, seven, eight, nine, I don't remember. And uh, you go in there. So I said, and they say, children, this is how we make the sound of a horse. I always thought they were really horses. And then the guy would have two things that looked like hooves and he clapped them on a board next to a microphone. I was amazed what sound effects were. And he said, children, here's how we make the sound of thunder. And he struck a piece of t- metal or tin a long, you know, boom, and it sounded like thunder. I was amazed at sound effects when I had first heard them. And so you might say I was born for radio, but I didn't go into radio. You got to understand something. Radio was not considered a profession that any, uh, how to put it, uh, educated, upwardly mobile young man would go into. Uh, It was not a field. It was, uh, you know, more professional fields were those you would choose. There was no such thing as radio. But as years went on and I became an author and I would travel the country doing 10 city book tours, which were quite a grind, uh, people would say to me, God, you're good. You have a great voice. You, You should do it. You should be in the radio business. I remember a guy in Seattle, KRO, said that to me. You're a natural. Now, that was, would be like someone saying to a kid, you should be an astronaut. How do I become a radio host when I know nothing about the field? Well, that's a topic for yet another day. Some of you may have heard it, but it's important to tell, and I will tell it on a podcast in January, when the cycle, this cycle ends in a, well, a new door opens and a new cycle begins. When I come back, a real treat for you, God, faith, and reason my interview with Mr. Arroyo, right here on the Savage Nation. Savage.
2: He's heard by over 10 million listeners on his nationally syndicated radio show. He's a botanist, a medical anthropologist, and author of 25 books. Four of those were New York Times bestsellers. His latest is a departure from political commentary. It's called god faith and reason and it's a glimpse into his personal religious faith and the judeo christian values that are the foundation of american culture joining me now from san francisco the one and only michael savage thank you for joining us michael
0: mr arroyo it's a true pleasure to be with you and your worldwide audience well, the pleasure and is I hope ours we can, i hope we can get into some some travels together
2: oh well we'll do that before long look at the beginning of this book michael and i've read so many of your books i've been listening to you for years um Thank you. i was struck by the book because early on you write it was god who that has given you your success and therefore you decided this next book was going to be something for him. What did you want to give back to God, and how does this book accomplish it?
0: I had come off the success of a series of New York Times bestsellers with my current publisher, Hachette, and they they rushed after Trump won. They said we want a book on Trump. Three months, hmm. Trump's War. I called it. I said I'll only do it if you publish my God book because I've been promising my audience that the last book. Scorched earth government zero would be my last political book. Mm -hmm. I have to give God back everything. He's something. Do you think okay? They agreed to do it. So Trump's war became number one New York Times bestseller. Well, here we are a year later Well, actually nine months later. The book is out just before Christmas. What am I trying to do with the book? I feel that by writing this having written this book God faith and reason which goes back literally since I'm a teenager And by drawing people into my stories, family stories, childhood Mm -hmm. in New York, working for dad in his little store, you name it, I'm going to trick my audience because throughout this book, I cleverly included some Old Testament sayings. Every other page, if you'll see, they're set in an old looking typeface. Quotes from Ezekiel, Jeremiah, biblical quotes throughout the book in bold, filling up whole pages. Mm -hmm. So what is the whole game here? The game is to take the secular reader on a journey with me, because they love my stories, and in so doing, they say, "What's? oh, look, I haven't read the Bible in so many years. What's this stuff from Ezekiel? Mm -hmm. What is Jeremiah saying thousands of years ago? Gee, that applies now. Maybe they'll come to understand that these words may have eternal value, and in so doing, maybe, just maybe, they'll be drawn back into their own faith, because, Raymond, you have a largely religious catholic audience am i correct
2: well half half evangelical believe it or not and we have some jewish viewers as well and even seekers non-christians
0: i understand why uh however so many people don't understand that as secular or as atheistic they may think they are mm-hmm. they weren't born when they were born in other words the world didn't begin when they were born and it doesn't end when they die
2: mm-hmm.
0: meaning they're not two generations away from a very religious ancestor or relative grandfather grandmother great-grandfather grandmother whether it was a priest a rabbi or a churchgoer they were there so it's in their dna it's in their genes and i'm I'm hoping to excite that dna in them to what their true heritage is Mm -hmm. michael do you consider yourself a person of faith i'm like mother teresa i go in and out of i go sort of in and out of it but there's not a minute that i don't think about the eternal meaning when mother teresa in her last years, finally, I think they wrote her, they, they released her her uh, journals or something, mm-hmm. her diaries. Didn't she say there were days she didn't believe and she was so ashamed?
2: Well, it was bad, um, yeah, um, she had a crisis of faith. It wasn't that she didn't believe, but she sort of had a crisis of faith where she didn't feel God's presence. She knew he was there, but she didn't feel it. And that in itself is sort of the walk of faith, I thought.
0: Well, there it is, feel, that's a big word. Mm-hmm. I mean, my book is God, faith, and reason. It's not God, faith, and feelings. But. <gasps> Certainly, certainly without feeling it, you know, you're not really there. I mean, how many people go go through the rituals of religion and don't connect in that church or in that synagogue? Mm -hmm. And so I tell stories of when I was a young man, born Jewish. My father was not really religious. He just didn't believe in much. My mother would light the candles every Friday night and it gave me a certain calm to know that she believed in, in something bigger than now. Maybe it was tradition. But the fact was, is uh, feeling, feeling. And so when I was a teenager doing my wandering, I would go into any house of worship that that attracted me. I, mm. I, went to, I went to an Abyssinian church in Harlem, New York, all blacks. I met a preacher on the street, struck up a conversation. He jumped in my old Volkswagen Beetle. I said, well, I'll take you to your church, Brother Billy. And we drove up there and I said, this room was shaking. <laughs> that Abyssinian church was shaking. I said, these people not only feel God, they make God feel them. Hmm. Years later, I wound up in Berkeley, California uh, with my wife and my little boy. I walked into a um, Chabad, which is an Orthodox Jewish temple in a makeshift place. And I saw what I had seen in the I'd never seen, which was, am I going on too long? Go ahead. You can walked in there with the men dancing in a circle with their hands on each other's shoulders. That place was shaking like the Abyssinian church. It was shaking like a Fijian village, but they were Jews hmm. with the big beards, with the black coats. And in the circle, I walked in a stranger with his little red haired boy. God bless him. And the rabbi reaches down, takes my son, puts him on his shoulders and drags me into the circle. And there's a chapter they call Dancing with Hasids. Now that started a whole road of mine. I'm not a religious man, but I certainly respect their religious-osity, religiosity. Uh-huh. And so therefore, these chords all resonate in me, and, and I think are resonating in God, faith, and reason.
2: Michael, in the book, you decry, and I've heard you say this over and over again, the secularization in America, where people of faith, religious ideas, the notion of God is pushed to the margins of society. Yet in some ways, if I'm reading this right, you you call people out in the beginning of the book for not practicing their faith. But the author himself doesn't really practice, do you? I do.
0: Tell me what's, you know, when I've read religious teachings in mystical Judaism they say that the man who actually feels the presence of God is closer to God than the man who ju- does the rituals and doesn't feel the presence of God hmm. and so having said that I believe that my fear and my awe of the of the power of God is a form of practice in its constant it's it's not I don't think a single breath goes through me without my recognizing that it could be my last <laughs> Mm. Sorry to be so fatalistic.
2: No, no, no. Well, look, this is, a, this is an important concept to know that, look, we're not here forever. Death, death away. You know, if you look at some of those old paintings of saints, you know, you go through Rome or you go through different parts of Europe. In the corner of the, the painting, my kids were always spooked because there's a skull down there with a little crossbones beneath it. Mm. Well, that was the, the memento mori, the remembrance of death. Your death is coming. We're all going to go the same way. That's not a bad thing. fact, it clarifies the mind as you say in the book
0: well i think that if you dwell on this it can render you powerless and you can't move people Mm -hmm. get frozen with fear i think that in spite of the fact that we're mortal and in fact that we're all going to go by the way of all flesh we have to embrace life jewish people say therefore choose life Mm. not death the death worshippers the atheists say, therefore, choose death. That's our society, unfortunately, today is embracing death in every form, whether it's through drugs, violence, rampant sexuality. That's no meaning. That's a that's a form of choosing death, isn't it, Raymond? Mm, it is so we indeed, have yeah. to look we have to look at the other side and choose life, the life giving side, the family. The religion, mm-hmm. the faith, the congregation is life
2: in an interview in 2009 in the new yorker magazine they asked you about your father and you said he didn't like talk of faith in fact he sort of forbade it Uh, what mark did that leave on you did that make you um uncomfortable with faith as a younger man
0: well he didn't disallow it he just didn't believe in god he didn't think that there was anything beyond uh, his death Mm -hmm. it was a very cynical a uh, view of an immigrant. I'm an immigrant's son. After all, he came here, led a very hard life in the old country and a harder life here. He died very young, and, and I think he had a very tough life, and he had no reason to believe anybody up there was helping him. Mm. Uh, I have found the opposite to be true, that without this upper power, call it God if you, if you want, because that's what I think it is, I wouldn't be sitting here speaking with Raymond Arroyo. I would have gone off the rails a long time ago and never come back. I know mm. that for a fact. So... For me, it's a different story. Michael, in the book, you talk about, um, at one
2: point, going down to the core of your being. You were taken there by a moment in your life. And you said it took you a good number of years to come back. But it was really in that cauldron, when you were down and out, you say, um, where you discovered God. Tell me about that
0: Mm. period in your life. It's funny you bring it up. And every time I think of it, I get chills through my head, down my spine. I had gone back to university gotten mm-hmm. two masters degrees. I was told well in order to be a professor you better get your PhD from a university because that's your union ticket.
1: Mm.
0: I went to the highest level I could. I got my doctorate from the University of California at Berkeley in a very difficult field of three sciences combined. I earned this PhD in 2.3 years, 2.7 mm. years, 2.6 years. It was a record. I came out thinking I finally get this teaching position. 200 universities said white men need not apply. I'm sorry to make it that clear affirmative action had started to click in they were not hiring white men they were hiring anyone else it didn't matter and i was banging my head against a stone wall with two young children i thought i was failing them i thought i was failing my ancestors my my heart was aching i didn't know what to do and so one day in fairfax california i put on my talus and my yarmulke huh. from the chabad people i went out on the deck and i yelled and that valley shook i know the valley shook I beg God to save me and all I said was just give me a living I will prove to you I'm worthy I didn't say don't make me I said I no, don't need to be rich just give me a living I'll prove my value hmm. it wasn't like you know the Red Sea parted and the yeah. Cecil B. mill production hmm. years it took years but slowly the seas parted slowly things came my way as long as I kept working at it hmm. because God knows if I get lazy I'm not a good person uh, none of I mean, us are. No, we're not using the why, gifts we're given. That's why I don't retire, even at my age. I mean, <laughs> well, he knows. It, but I'll just go bad. Yeah, and, and so we sh- I, we I, should I also working.
2: say, your family, I mean, through your example, your son is the founder of Rockstar, the, the, the great beverage that everybody, dr- kids are drinking everywhere. Uh, your wife was the head of that company. Is she still president of Rockstar?
0: Y- y- well, she's the, the um, COO. She manages mm-hmm. the books. Wow unbelievable so i mean well he did a great you know i don't want to talk about him i don't like to merge his business with my philosophy but the fact is is that he he spent a lot of years with me traveling in the south pacific Mm. he he was there with me as a little child he's Mm. seen things that kids wouldn't never so lucky to have uh, experienced now whether any of that reflects in his business acumen i don't know but all i can Mm. say is that we've been very blessed as a family and Mm. i'm trying to say to the world on the on this show that I want to thank God through the show because this is a religious show is it not
2: Well we, we cover less? religion sure
0: okay i mean that's what the book god faith and reason is about it was my way of giving back to god my thanks i don't know how else to say mm. it so it's through personal stories through an odyssey i'm not proselytizing i'm not an evangelist i love evangelists they save people but i'm not one i'm not a theologian But it's your journey.
2: It's your struggle. It's your it's your story. And you find you in the book. You you meet a a panoply of characters here. A Jewish mobster, (laughs) a Buddhist, an atheist. You're having dinners. Uh, It's about your life as a child. You even have sections. You have a section here that I want to talk about before we run out of time. You say here Halloween is bigger than Christmas. Why do you think that is in America?
0: Well, that's why I had them publish the book this time of year. That's why it's in the bookstores right now. Mm -hmm. We've just come through Halloween. Every lawn in the white suburbs, ghosts and goblins and spider webs and this and that. I said, if this isn't the embodiment of paganism, I'd like to know what is. Mm. And so when I grew up in New York City, every other car in Queens, New York, had a little St. Christopher on it. Mm. It gave me faith. Uh, to know that there were people who had faith it gave me faith to know that there were faithful people around made me feel good church on the corner mm-hmm. everything had its place it was organized orderly now you drive around in new york or washington dc or san francisco there are no saint christopher statues mm-hmm. there are dream catchers there are voodoo dolls there are cobwebs hanging off mirrors i don't know how they can see through the through the windshield <laughs> if if that doesn't symbolize the demoralization of america i'd like to know what does to me it's all combined and the fact that halloween is now bigger than christmas
2: yeah no it, it, it's become its own festival it's much bigger and they lead up to it like it's a, a holy day um <laughs> holy- t- tell me michael um and you make other observations throughout the book and i wish i had more time to really delve into it further but um it, it's really worthwhile there is There is an article I read where you talk about your talent and how you discovered it. And you really attribute Mm. it to your brother Jerome and your mother. Mm. Tell me how you discovered the work of your life, really, one of the great works of your life.
0: Well, it's a sad, tragic story in my family. Every family has one, I suppose. This was, uh, uh, I was the second child. The third child was born. He was a little blonde-haired, blue-eyed boy, looked perfectly normal. But... After a year or so, they realized there was something off. He couldn't see, couldn't couldn't hear, mm. and he was he was crippled, born crippled. Well, it, it destroyed the family, ripped everyone's heart out. And they would put him in the kitchen in a high chair, and he would sit there alone all day, and they would say, don't go in there and don't bother him. And I thought, what? What do you mm. mean don't bother him? So when no one was looking, I'd sneak into the kitchen, and although he was supposed to be deaf, I would whistle to him. And I would see his eyes light up, and I knew that he wasn't deaf. I knew also Mm. there was a soul in there. And in speaking to him in that mysterious way that God gives us, I learned how to communicate with audiences who are silent. I mean, you're sitting in a studio. I'm here alone. We're communicating with a silent audience, but there are millions of people out there. That's the same. It's trying to communicate with with the silent audience. And I, I just learned how to communicate with silent audiences with animals. My little dog Teddy's always with me. Hmm. I think it's through the gift of my brother and I would say my silent brother is who I owe it all to.
2: Hmm. Amazing. Amazing. uh, Before I let you go, the sex abuse and sexual harassment scandal that we've seen engulf not only politics, but now media, entertainment. I mean, it Mm. seems to be spreading. Are you concerned that it's gone too far? And what I mean by that is you have (coughs) accusers uh, suggesting that, you know, a guy asking somebody out to a drink is harassment.
0: Your thoughts? It's insanity. It's a witch hunt in the French uh, Revolution. All you have to do is say, j'accuse, and they cut someone's head off. No, uh-huh. no trial, nothing. We are living through a, a revolution here. God only knows who is behind this, but it's like the French Revolution. The guillotine is falling. Every day, someone else. For whom the bell tolls, the bell tolls for thee. I uh-huh. mean, there's a poem about this. Right. And the accusers don't realize that the guillotine is a very thirsty instrument. There's no amount of blood on earth that the guillotine will be satisfied with. And after the French Revolution got through killing all the counter-revolutionaries, what did they do? They started killing each other until the guillotine finally fell silent when there were no no longer any necks to cut. We see this going on now in the media. Who's next to fall? When is it gonna turn on the... When will the women in the media suddenly start being accused of being sexual predators and by whom? When will that start? When will that end? I mean, we have to understand we're a nation of laws. And no matter how many people may line up and say, I accuse you, without a trial, the person is innocent until proven guilty in my book. I don't Mm. care how many people line up, innocent until proven guilty, whether it's Judge Roy Moore in this case, or anyone else, innocent until proven guilty, I wanna see a trial. We are a nation of laws, not a nation of of, uh, hanging, public hangings. Mm. I wanna close with this at the end of the book. uh, You write, in the
2: end, the search to find God Is the Mm. finding itself what does that mean
0: it's an interesting thing as I was going to press with the book it was like my Albert Einstein E equals MC squared Mm. relativity moment which was where is God why is God silent well you see the idol worshipers they don't have to worry about where's God they worship the statue they worship the tree they worship the stone they have something to hold on to Mm. but when Judaism came along and we were taught that God is invisible it was became a paradox for man because it was the first time we didn't have that rock or that tree so where is this God well we heard about him we heard he was there we heard he gave us the Ten Commandments he did this he did that so I realized why God remains invisible to us Hmm. because if we could see him and we could touch him we would dismiss him as yesterday's movie we'd say Hmm. oh I met God yesterday That was pretty good but what's what's happening today what's today's show so God was Hmm. so smart by remaining invisible through, 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 through all the ages, mankind will always search for him. And in searching for him and looking for him, don't we find him in every leaf, every tree, every dog, every child, every baby, every cloud? Don't we see God's work?
2: Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it reminds me of the line, when Jesus uh, meets Thomas after the resurrection and he wants to touch the wounds, you'll remember, to have confirmation that, you know, this is really the guy he saw crucified and jesus tells him blessed are those who have not seen and still believe which kind of confirms your your notion there michael well i think there's a little of his dna in me somewhere uh uh, just a little bit probably more than that (laughs) michael savage thank you so much for being here god faith and reason by michael savage is available now in bookstores everywhere and online what a pleasure savage (laughs)
0: yeah national socialist radio anyway so this was the first uh, show of the long goodbye there's only a few weeks left by the way till the end of the uh, broadcast year for myself and everyone else in the business and uh we've had a lot of fun today and we'll have another show on wednesday god willing and then there's a vacation of thursday through sunday then there's a week and a week and a goodbye charlie and then and then uh, january So I've had a lot of beautiful answers, especially on Twitter when people were responding, including really first-class people. There's one gentleman who's special ops from the IDF, another special ops operator from America who said he grew up listening to me in his father's truck. And because of me, he became a military person. You know, I don't know how many times I have heard from guys who went into the military because they were awakened to the value of their nation, the beauty of America, from talk radio, from my show. And as a result, they became distinct patriots. And I wanna say to them, you're great people, great men. And I'm sorry I can't meet all of you at one time. Uh, That's just impossible. And there's another element of radio that I wanna express to you. I was thinking about it before I did this show is how many people you actually touch both positively and negatively on a daily basis. You make enemies and you make friends, but remember there's a lot of people who are offended by things you say. Now some are offended because they're offended by anything and by everybody. Others are offended for their own reasons, whatever. But then there are people who are ennobled from what you say and inspired from what you say. Inspired to make themselves a better person. Inspired to become a father. Inspired to be a better father. Aspire to become a mother or a better mother. Words have tremendous power. Words can heal, words can kill. I wrote that at the beginning of one of my health books, I don't know, 30 years ago. Words can heal, words can kill. Words can heal, words can kill. There are words that can cut you to pieces, especially if you don't have a thick skin. If you are a person who is open to another person and they say something to you that is hurtful, that hurt will be with you forever. On the other hand, there are people who can inspire you with a single sentence. They can pull you out of the darkest cavern you can imagine falling into. Just through an honest statement, they can pull you back out into the light. So words, my dear listeners of the Savage Nation, are what we are talking about. Really, we're only talking about words. Words are so powerful. And when words are censored, as is being done by Twitter, Facebook, Google, radio stations, websites. We are entering a new dark age. It goes way beyond just censoring a particular political orientation. It is censoring a soul and putting the light out forever. Resist. 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 Thank you for listening. With God's will and your listenership back on Wednesday.
1: The Westwood One Podcast Network.